Hey everyone, Dave Broadbeck here. The lecture you're about to hear is for psychology, also biology, uh, 3506 neuropharmacology, and it's for the, uh, I guess, winter of... Okay, so today... Our topic is the most popular drug in the world, popular psychoactive drug on the planet Earth. Because you might, you might say to yourself, what about alcohol? Well, the thing is, there's a whole swath of people that are, that can't drink alcohol for religious reasons, right? Okay. So there's like 1.6 billion Muslims in the world and they can't, they're <coughs> prohibited from drinking alcohol. In your coffee, okay. So it, it certainly is the most popular psychoactive drug in North America. About 190 million North Americans are, are, are dependent on caffeine. 190 million. Which, as far as adults go, that's the that's state, states of Canada, not including Mexico. So when I say North America. So that's going to be, what, about 80 to 90% of adults. That's a lot of people. How many people here? Any, does anybody here not ingest caffeine at all? Yes. You don't? You ever drink? You ever eat chocolate? Yeah. yeah. You don't? No, no caffeine? You're doing this. No, no. I, I was just waving. Oh, okay. Hi. Hi. Uh, okay. So, so, so we all. Oh, you don't? No, no caffeine at all? Nothing? No. No, no chocolate? No. No. Okay. Wow, there are people in the world that hate chocolate. Uh, let's see, have you ever, like, you, admit, you may be the only second person ever that I've found this interesting. Uh, okay. find something. Let's see. Uh, you ever take a cold pill? Like, uh, you're, you're sick and you've got your ulcers, sinuses, and you take, like, a, a night pool or a day pool? No. Have you ever done that? Okay. What about, like, uh, like Tylenol P, not Tylenol P, but Tylenol sinus medication? So Red Bull, obviously. Is a <laughs> so no coffee, no tea. It's not uh, caffeine. Oh. <laughs> What's the point? Um, okay, you may be the second person I've ever had. The, 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 we have a winner. Uh, move to the front of the class. I collect your prize. But uh, if see this, this tells us something though. I have taught this course at two universities. Oh, geez, I don't know how many times. 11, 12 times in my career. And I found two people that don't ingest that. One person in Newfoundland, Labrador, and now one person in Ontario. That's pretty amazing, right? You don't like chocolate. Wow. No, I just, I've never, I didn't know there were people like that. That's great. It's diversity. It's wonderful. I think it's great. I just, it's like, it's like someone, to me, that's like someone saying, I don't really like sugar. A friend of my daughter's once said, I don't like water. I said, no, you just, you, you better like water. <laughs> water. It's kind of cool that you don't like chocolate. I don't really honestly think it's cool. Um, so it's pretty rare to find someone who doesn't ingest caffeine. Uh, unless there are certain uh, Mormons don't typically ingest caffeine. But a lot of them eat chocolate. 
<laughs> so it's interesting. But no, no cold medications. No cola. Oh, what about Coke? You ever drink a Coke? Oh, I do. Hmm? I hate Coke. Oh, what about Pepsi? <laughs> RC Cola? What about President's Choice? Okay, I'm just going to keep naming things until I, I'm going to break you. Um, you're pretty, it's amazing. Okay. So one wonders then, maybe it's the, maybe it's the caffeine molecule you don't like. It is horribly bitter. I know that does absolutely nothing, but it's a nice diagram of a caffeine molecule. Memorize that. Okay. I can't So this includes things like coffee. A typical cup of coffee, this probably has about 120, 130 milligrams of caffeine in it. Okay. Um, tea, this depends on the tea. And this would be a mug of tea, not a cup of tea. 40... And again, this depends on tea, obviously. Colas, uh, so a can of Coke has somewhere around 30 milligrams of caffeine in it. Some colas have more caffeine. They used to be this stuff called Jolt Cola. It had twice the sugar and like three times the caffeine or something. Um, just have three Cokes. I, I think what's, what's the problem? Um, Cold and flu medications and headache medications often have caffeine in them. Uh, caffeine actually typically is, is one of the nice things about caffeine is it, it's, it's good for headaches. Right? So a lot of times, um, if you look on the back of a thing of uh, like Tylenol headache medication or sinus medication, so I mentioned that, it actually mentions there's caffeine in the pill. Red Bull uh, has 30 milligrams per 100 milligrams of Red Bull. That's the dosage, which means there's about 150 milligrams in a large can. And a large can of Red Bull is not a big can, it is tall, right? Chocolate bar, between 50 and 100 milligrams again. So people that get all, oh, the kids get crazy at Easter because they're eating so much sugar. It's the caffeine. It's actually the caffeine. It's not, it's not the sugar. Yeah, there's wake-up pills that are available. Um, No-dose, things like that. But we might have anywhere between 100 and 500 milligrams of caffeine. And that might sound odd, except that drinking a cup of coffee is, about, you know, is 120, 130. You'll see numbers much lower that than that, but they're talking about a cup, like a teacup, and really weakly brewed coffee. So it, it, they're, they're talking about coffee that no one drinks. I think it's mentioned in the book, actually. So basically, it's a lot of different stuff. A lot of different stuff. By the way, um, unlike we talked about nicotine last time, which became regulated, caffeine isn't regulated really at all. It's really not regulated at all. So no one worries about the caffeine content in coffee. Um, no one is concerned about the caffeine content in, say, cola or wake-up. Well, wake-up pills, they're not selling, like, two grams. Let me do that. Just get four or five <coughs> uh, So it typically isn't regulated at all. And that's because it's pretty safe. It's really... Of all the drugs we're going to talk about, it's probably the safest psychoactive drug we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So, 
So it's no surprise that it gets used a lot because it's it's pretty simple. Like I, uh, for about wake up pills, for example, I've done work here where we gave people caffeine pills, and it passes the ethics board no problem because you just say it's the same amount as you get in a cup of coffee, and you just make sure when you sign people up for the experiment that you don't have, you know, have non-caffeine users. Right, so a friend over here. So she's not she's not signing up for it. Because you'd be in for a hell of a surprise. If you've never had caffeine before and suddenly had a hundred milligrams of caffeine. Yeah, like I said, it's pretty safe. It's almost always taken orally. Uh, you can <laughs> I've I've seen people I, this I never did, but I have seen people in my misspent youth crush up caffeine pills and snort them. Um, which I, it just seems silly. Why not just eat? Why not have a cup of coffee? <laughs> Seriously, that will work. But it's almost always orally, right? Um, it crosses the blood-brain barrier and crosses the placental barrier. So if you're pregnant and having coffee, which is pretty safe, by the way, you'll find an MD will not say don't drink coffee. They will also, however, tell you when you do, your baby gets it, your fetus gets it, and the thing is, this thing inside of you will now be full of caffeine, and if you don't want it jumping up and down and rum, you know, doing somersaults a lot, maybe cut down on the, drink, on the coffee. Right. It's absorbed a little more slowly from cold beverages, so this is why, for example, you don't get the hit of, uh, of caffeine, you'll feel it from a Coke, like you do even from a weak cup of tea. Uh, less than 2% of it is excreted. In other words, we use it in our brains. This is adult humans, by the way. Adult humans deal with caffeine differently than all other animals. This includes young child humans, who are much more like you know rats or monkeys. So less than 2% excreted, unlike, say, alcohol. Think about alcohol. When you're drinking alcohol, a lot of it's excreted and your breath, for example. No one ever says, ooh, guy, he's got caffeine breath. Right? So most of it gets broken down or gets used up by our nervous system. Pretty amazing. Okay. Um... The half-life is a, this is an interesting thing because I've seen a lot of different numbers between 30 minutes in some people and three and a half hours. I have found the older I've gotten, the more susceptible I am to caffeine. And so, that, I mean, it may, it may anecdotally, maybe the case that, at least for me, like I can't drink coffee after dinner. I used to drink coffee before I went to bed. I drink coffee all, all night. Can't do that anymore. The metabolism is slowed by birth control pills, of all things. Oh, which says, wait, 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 two things. Um, yeah, it's two times slower in women taking birth control pills. So if your half-life normally is three and a half hours, it may become like seven hours if you're taking oral contraceptives. On the other hand, you could just eat a lot of broccoli, which maybe will balance it out. 
It's two times faster in smokers. So smokers break down caffeine. Maybe that's because I stopped smoking. Um, so they break, they break down um, caffeine more quickly. Dave, yeah. how does that happen? The smoker thing? Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And part of the reason I'm not entirely sure is we're not really entirely sure how, how, how caffeine actually works. Which is, yeah, it is. All the legal ones, we really don't know how they work. The illegal ones, we get completely. But caffeine's weird like alcohol in that we really... I'm going to tell you a, a sort of the, 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 the prevailing notion about it today. And the book talks of the prevailing notion about it. But no one's entirely sure. It's not like opiates where we say there are opiate receptors. Done. They are here. They make you feel good. Also, no pain. Next. I mean, that's easy. Alcohol's like, well, there seem to be alcohol receptors in the GABA system. Nicotine's like, there seem to be receptors here. So it's like that. It gets broken down into three different... Caffeine is a, a, a molecule that fits in what's uh, the methyl xanthine family, and it gets broken down into three different xanthines. I know that. It's got to be an enzyme induction thing that I just don't know about. Yeah, it's got to be. So that's in adults. Adult humans, and this is one of the reasons I think that caffeine isn't really heavily regulated, is that adult humans are very good at metabolizing it, and it's really pretty safe. Now, kids, and this is... The thing is, sometimes you see things that say, like, babies under two months old, but I've seen data that suggests anything toddler and below metabolize caffeine entirely differently. First of all, 85% of it's excreted. It's excreted non-metabolized, so it's not broken down. Right? And the half-life is oh, about four days, four and a half days. By the way, there are certain antidepressants they're monoamine oxidase inhibitors, typically. It can increase the half-life of caffeine in, in an adult to 56 to 60 hours. A lot of interesting drug interactions. So one of the things to be concerned about with a very small kid, it's certainly true for babies, but like I said, I've read stuff that says up to like toddlers, three and a half, four, four, months, uh, four years old. That don't give them coke is what I'm saying. They'll be up for days. Days. That's bad. I've often like thought like you don't see it much here, but I have seen I in the other province I lived in, you'd see like like a nine-month-old with a bottle full of Coke. The land is weird. And um, I'd walk by people thinking, boy, you're in for an interesting week. Because <laughs> you know, kids aren't going to sleep. Interesting thing, by the way, about cola. So it's in the cola nut, right? That's why 
Coca-Cola has caffeine. The thing is, the amount of caffeine that would be, with the amount of cola nut they use, there's no way there'd be like 40, 50 milligrams of caffeine. Caffeine's actually put in the Coke. Where do they get the caffeine? They get it from coffee companies when they take the caffeine out of their coffee, they decaffeinate coffee. Which still has about, decaffeinated coffee still has a little caffeine. Caffeinated tea does too, so you do, you do catch some tea. I see. I still win. Um, kidding. This isn't about winning, but it kind of is in my head. So, all right. So, what I'm saying is when you get kids, don't give them caffeine. I've always said, like, you know how sometimes your mom is right about things, you find out years later, and when you, when you were like five, you said, can I have coffee? And your mom said, you're not old enough yet, your mom was right. During the Super Bowl, my son said, he's 16, that's one of the Johnny's 16, and he has on. So I'm going to have a beer. I said, okay, that's fine. So he goes to the beer fridge, because I've got a beer fridge, and in the living room. And he, um, <laughs> where else are you going to put it? And um, right below the rail dispensing drink thing in the wine rack. So we drink a lot. So um, he goes and gets a beer. And it's a rolling rock. I said, no, that's a good choice because that's um, it's pretty light and it's also not very good. And he's really excited. He's about to have what he, you know, it's going to be his first beer. He opens it up. He takes a big slug of it. He goes, this is great. And I thought, okay. And then he goes, uh, I don't want it anymore. I said, you don't like it, do you? He said, no. <laughs> and then he looks up at the, the, the alcohol. He goes, what about Smirnoff? I said, you're not drinking blood. <laughs> not, not yet, son. Not yet. But when he was little, I wouldn't say he could have a beer. It's like, it's like you're not old enough. Same thing with, with coffee. It's probably not a good idea to give little kids coffee. Okay, so as I mentioned, we don't quite know how this works. So it seems to block adenosine receptors. Now, adenosine is a neuromodulator that builds up during the day as you're awake. Okay? It builds up at synapses during the day while you're awake, and it slows firing of any uh, excitatory neurotransmitters, okay? It makes you drowsy. But the thing is, what caffeine seems to do, like again, uh, it's not what I'm entirely sure about. It seems to inhibit the inhibition. So it's, it, it, it literally is making you non-drowsy, right? It wakes you up. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah. But, I mean, spoiler alert, it's a stimulant. Stimulants do that. Right? It'd be like, like if I gave you too much tobacco. Tobacco is an odd example. If I gave you too much riddle like, like, right? or if I gave you too much cocaine, right, you get anxious. It's, it's, a, it's a stimulant effect that you then label. So the stimulant effect happens. Right? So your heart beats, your pupils dilate, right? And you then, so you have this physiological thing, you have an actual feeling, and then what do you do? You label it. Right? 
So you, how do you label that emotion? Well, the easiest thing to do is, well, what, what do I have? What do I have in my life that feels like this? And this is what I. This is what, what I'm, when I'm anxious. I feel like this. Right? Like when I'm really worried about something, my heart beats fast. My pupils, everything seems bright. Right? So then you label that as anxiety. You say, "Oh, I'm so worried about something. I don't know what it is." And you're actually not. You just label this physiological arousal. Same as that class experiment where you give people uh, adrenaline. Right? So you, this is a great experiment. You, you give two, two groups. One group is given a shot of saline when they come into the lab. The other group is given a shot of epinephrine, of adrenaline. Okay? And while they're in the waiting room, which is actually the experiment, they're given, someone sits down beside them and starts being kind of annoying. Nothing big, just kind of annoying. If you're given the saline, you're a little bit pissed off at them, but you just sort of let it go. You know, there's always the annoying guy in the doctor's office that wants to talk to you. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm here to go to find out what's wrong with my freaking eye. This may be experience talk. And the guy across the, the looking across from me is rolling a cigarette. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in the doctor's office. <laughs> They can only in Sault Ste. Marie do people roll smokes in a doctor's <laughs> office. I took a picture and sent it to my brother. Said, this is where I live. Um, <laughs> but it's more, that's no big deal. But if I've been given adrenaline, I get like, oh. And then it's like, oh, I can, you know what it is? It's that guy's pissing me off. And I get all anxious. I get all excited. I get maybe aggressive. It's the same sort of classic sort of thing. I'm 52 years old, I have three degrees, and I sit down to tie my shoes. And then I, I sat there, I screwed up tying, up tying my shoes. I'm, just, I'm a failure in a lot of respects. Um, that's not fair, but it's close. So, squawky adenosine receptors. Keeps you awake. High doses can actually block benzodiazepine receptors. Oh, very nice. High doses here, by the way, high doses are not what you get when you're drinking a couple cups of coffee. We're talking about taking 10 wake-up pills. You know, 5 grams of caffeine. Though, so, so this should tell you something, when you're suspected of benzodiazepine overdose, a lot of times people are just given caffeine. Okay, there's going to be a lot of hedging here. It might cause the release of epinephrine. It looks like it does. Seems to. It seems to cause the release of dopamine in the accumbens. Not the accumbens, that's not even a word. I should say accumbens. Chairs in my way. Let's make fun of the blind guy. Let's put chairs everywhere. Um, this shouldn't surprise anybody that it seems to cause the release of dopamine in the accumbens. Now, that's pretty new, that discovery. In fact, that may not have even been on the slide that you downloaded. Causes smooth muscles to relax, right? Muscles to contract. Okay. It decreases airway resistance, which means it's good for asthma. 
So if you're actually congested, because of conditioning, and I've said this the other day, one of the nice things you can do, in fact, is just have a cup of coffee. You can have a cup of coffee. Or literally make coffee will clear you up all your congestion. If you already drink coffee, if you're not a coffee drinker, this isn't going to help you at all. Please. What's a striate muscle? Uh, striate muscles are muscles that make you move, voluntary muscles. Smooth oh. muscles are uh, ones that are like uh, dirty voluntary muscles. Okay. Striate means striped. You get constriction of blood vessels that go to the brain. And this is why, this is some people have speculated, this is why caffeine seems to be a trigger for some people who have migraines. That's a lot of that's anecdotal, and it's hard to say. Like, I have a couple of friends who get migraines, and they, if they're having a cup of coffee, they just dump it out because they, it seems to make it worse. However, you get dilation of blood vessels everywhere else. So going to the brain, you get constriction, but dilation everywhere else, which means actually it works, so it makes them fatter, blood flows more. So that actually makes it good for a headache medication. reduce drowsiness and boredom, which means it will, and that's, you can measure that, by the way. You measure drowsiness easily. You also measure boredom. You just ask them, is there a question there? Um, so it seems to improve some cognitive performance. And many of you know this. You're, you're, you're getting drowsy. You're studying. You have a cup of coffee or a, or a Coke or something. Uh, and you're energized a bit, and you can actually do something. Right? It probably would help athletic performance, but at levels much higher than you'd be having a cup of coffee. Because it's a stimulant. <coughs> it increases fatty acid levels, um, which makes it performance enhancing for long uh, term events like uh, marathons, triathlons, things like that. Okay? That makes it a controlled substance. It's not a banned substance. It's not a banned substance in athletic competition. We're about to hear all about that shortly because the Olympics are about to start. And while Russia isn't officially competing, quote, Olympic athletes from Russia are, most of them are cheating. So, and you know, you laugh. That's true. That's why Russia got kicked out of the Olympics and they're all going to be competing as Olympic athletes from Russia, but not really from Russia. Hey, yep. Could you explain the synergistic effects between caffeine or coffee with uh, nicotine? 
Well, I mean, we talked about it just the other day. Remember, we, one of the things that nicotine does is it makes other... I guess I should say, what interacts first? Is it the nicotine or the time? I, I don't understand that question. Right. Well, the nicotine, if you remember from the other day, makes the reward system work more efficiently. Let's say that. Because remember, when you go off nicotine, you need more of everything to feel good, right? For that those rat data I talked about, they show that. So what's happening is that well there's a couple things. First of all because the metabolism was more quick in smokers they can ingest more caffeine and not have any long term effects during the day. But also the nicotine is going to make it so they get more reinforcement out of the caffeine. So if you get more reinforcement out of something, you're more likely to do it. Right? That's how reinforcement works. Same thing with nicotine. Some, someone emailed me the other day, uh, right after class, and said, why do people smoke when they drink? And a lot of people only smoke when they drink. Because it makes the drinking feel even better. Nicotine does that. It makes everything feel a little bit more, yay, excitement also makes you cough a lot eventually you die. But you look cool when you're doing this. <coughs> sort of balance is out in the end. So it's a controlled substance, by the way, the amount you can um, ingest, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, is the equivalent of having about 15 cups of coffee. In other words, it's like 1.5 grams of Caffeine. In other words, and no one's having 15 cups of coffee with breakfast before, I don't know, short track speed skating. Because you'd have to pee. They're, they're peaking caffeine pills. Right? They must be. Because you can't drink that much coffee. Because remember, 1.5 grams of caffeine would be like that's having 15 cups of coffee all at once, or just downing it. Past that, it's like, no, now you're performance enhancing. And WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, their official line is, well, we don't want to stop anybody from having coffee with their breakfast or having a, a cola with their with their uh, lunch or, or dinner. 15, 1.5 grams of, co- of caffeine, please. Make it sensible. Say, you can even go 500 I know people that have four cups of coffee in the morning. That'd be about 500. That's okay. Right. It's like hockey players used to take, well, we'll talk about this when we get to, to uh, uh, stimulants, but hockey players used to all take pseudofeds because they have methylphenidrated, or not methylphenidrated, uh, pseudoephedrine, which is a stimulant. Like, well, you know, we are we only have runny noses and colds because we're on the ice. No, that's not how colds work. You're doing that because it's a performance enhancing drug. So I, have friends, I had a friend who was a world-class sprinter. He told me that one of the things that you would do before an event is that he would never take any drugs. 
he really didn't. He said he was completely clean. He wouldn't even do caffeine because it was like he didn't like coffee and he wouldn't take caffeine pills. Right? And by the way, his coach was a guy who also coached, um, what's his name again? Oh, Ben Johnson. So, I mean, it was the guy who was stripped of his Olympic medal in 1988 because they caught him cheating rather than everyone else. But yeah, people used to just take wake-up pills. It increases your time in light sleep. You may note this if you have too much caffeine and or even like a, like a cup of coffee after dinner, which you often do if you go out for dinner. Like I never do that at home, but like if you're at a restaurant, anybody like coffee? You like coffee. More time in like stage one and two of sleep. So light sleep, not the heavy, not, not the good sleep with the REM. And of course then this can counteract things like barbiturates. And we mentioned, I mentioned benzodiazepines before. All right. So you sleep, but you don't get as much rest, right? Because you don't tend to hit REMs as easily. Now it's getting hot in here. I, I, I know I constantly complain. I just can't figure out what kind of clothes to wear. Okay, non-humans. This is interesting because non-humans are affected by caffeine quite a bit differently, longer, uh, way longer uh, half-life, etc. So it increases spontaneous motor activity with small doses. Then you get a large dose, and in fact, spontaneous motor activity, again, this is just a rat running around in an open field. You count how many times it crosses lines or goes into different quarters. That's all it is, or different little uh, sections of a, of a big piece of plywood, basically. Okay, but then you give them larger doses, and they stop doing anything. So the small doses, there's a stimulant effect. The larger doses, basically, what we have here, I've always sort of thought of it as like they're sort of strung out on caffeine. They're like, <laughs> you know? It increases FR responding. We talked about that the other day, fixed ratio. So an FR10 would be every tenth response gets a reinforcement. And you get an increase in this. This is probably a timing effect of some sort because counting and timing go together in uh, the way animals process things. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Take, take the animal cognition special topics course next year and learn all about it. It'll be fun. And then you can read the paper about that. Number counting number of light flashes in the pigeon by Roberts, McEwen, and Rodman. Real barn burn. Then we can read Dwayne Keogh's master's thesis, which is the same thing. I'm not selling a course for There's other interesting stuff. So it's probably a timing effect of some sort. We do know, in fact, with um, fixed interval responding, that we can see that the animal's uh, clock is sped up. So it's responding too early. Remember, like an FI10 would be the first response after 10 seconds gets food. Well, now they their peak, peak time is at like, let's say, seven or eight seconds. So it's sped up their clock. And the, the animals have an internal clock. That's a thing. 
So we I'm short distances. We increase the suppressed behavior. I talked about suppressed behavior the other day. This is the idea. What happens is you get a rat. Well, you wouldn't just do it with one. You have a group of rats. Um, and first thing, they you train them that pushing a bar leads to Let's just pretend it's food. It's very, it gets much more complicated than that. That's actually not how it works, but let's just pretend. Pushing a bar leads to food. Now you can easily suppress that behavior. How do you suppress it? You start, well, you can shock the rat. Right? The floor of the box is electrified. Don't worry, it's not going to hurt the rat too much. You don't want to kill your rats. You don't want to hurt them, but it's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant feeling having a floor electrified. I've often thought of electrifying floors in classrooms, and people aren't paying attention. A little bit of that wakes you right up. But, so that decreases responding. Okay? You would see how. The rat's a little bit, it's uncomfortable, so it's not going to behave as much. That's basically what's going on. If you give the rat some caffeine, the suppression isn't as effective. And like I said, I'm really simplifying how that works. Take the learning course, a couple of VR right now, I know that. Uh, and you'll learn all about how suppression works. It's actually really cool stuff, but this shocking the rats isn't fun. It generalizes to cocaine. This is really weird, by the way. Because cocaine and amphetamine are pretty much <coughs> indistinguishable to a user of cocaine and amphetamine. But though it's hard to do that kind of work because you've got, you got to say to people, oh, do you take cocaine and or amphetamine? Come, come be in my study. It's kind of a hard thing to recruit people to do because they don't want to admit they do illegal drugs. But we know for, for sure that in rats, for example, cocaine will prime amphetamine use and amphetamine will prime and there's cross-tolerance. Like, they're very similar drugs. Yet, caffeine generalizes to cocaine, but not to amphetamine. In other words, when you teach an animal that pushing this bar will give you cocaine, the animal could very quickly switch over to pushing this bar leads gives you caffeine. And vice versa. But it doesn't work that way with amphetamine, which is really, really strange. It's surprising. Cocaine only really, pretty much only affects dopamine, and it may be that. Uh, we know that this dope looks like there's dopamine effects in the accumbens with caffeine, so maybe it's that. Whereas amphetamines are a little more generally stimulants. But like I said, cocaine and amphetamines are just cross tolerance, almost perfect cross tolerance. In generalizations. It's very strange. Caffeine's weird. Again, the legal drugs are weird. Okay, so the effects of caffeine. Um, we can, human caffeine users, so adult, almost every adult human in, in, in the world, can discriminate 1.8 milligrams of caffeine from no caffeine. So I give you a pill. Right? 
that has a little under two milligrams of caffeine in it. It's about the same amount as you get in a small sip of coffee from, from a baby, not, not from something like this, from a big cup of coffee. Small sip, like a little. You can tell if that's got caffeine in it or not. You know, you can feel it. So no, that's the caffeine one, and you're better than chance. That's incredible. Yeah, that'd be a very small sip of coffee. So caffeine makes you feel energized, focused, motivated. Uh, and it's the same in non-users, by the way. So if John was giving some caffeine, that's your name, right? So if you were giving caffeine, you would feel the same way. And I've taken the liberty of putting some caffeine in that water you um, so you would also feel, so non-users also feel energized, focused, and motivated. You can measure these things uh, using psychological tests. Totally the difference between a, a non-user and, and users is users know this. So they'll think, I have to do X, Y, or Z. I better have a cup of coffee. Like, I don't often use coffee as a psychological tool like that. I will sometimes, like when I'm marking a whole bunch of tests, and I did three tests in one week, which I did last week, and I'm sorry if there are people who are in three classes with me, and I apologize. Uh, that's just the rhythm of the courses, the tests. But it's like, okay, i got to mark all these tests within today, because I want to get them back to everybody. I'm just going to have a great big cup of coffee, because I know it'll, it'll, it'll motivate me to do it, it'll focus me, and I'll have some energy. Right? So it's cool, same, same uses. Uh, same as the users and non-users. That, by the way. This is moderate doses, okay? This is 20 to 200 milligrams. This is about, somewhere between a really weak cup of tea and a really strong cup of coffee. Oh, like black tea. Right? All right. We're not talking high doses here. We're not talking taking a bunch of wake-up pills. So, the other reason we're pretty sure about the adenosine hypothesis is that sustained caffeine use, in other words, what we all do, pretty much, leads to your body producing more adenosine receptors. Now, if a big dose, on the other hand, is given to a non-user, so if you give a gram, right, so that's two 500 milligram wake-up pills, which wouldn't be hard to find a gram of caffeine. They have an entirely different reaction. Their reaction is akin to a panic attack. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. So you're, because in that, basically it's, how are you going to label this thing that you've never felt before? You're not used to caffeine. Right? So your heart beats fast, pupils dilate, the whole thing, and a lot of people will report with it. Think they're having a heart attack. Okay, withdrawal symptoms. How many people here wake up often with a mild headache before they actually catch it? Okay, a few of us, sure. How many people wake, wake up kind of feeling stuffed up and a little achy before they have a cup of coffee? Sure. 
few of us here. How many people here are pissed off when they have a cup of coffee? I can't believe I've got to get up. And this comes with 100 milligrams per day. In other words, the rest of you were just too chicken to admit it, is what I'm saying. Some of us at least were enough we're self, much more self-aware than you people that don't do any reflection. Um, that's withdrawal symptoms. But the thing is, they're not really horrible withdrawal symptoms, and they're easily taken care of, cup of coffee. And there really it's not even a cup. Like the first, like you drink some coffee, and it's like, oh, good, my headache's gone. Oh, I'm waking up a bit. Caffeine. I'm ready to face the day. I'm no longer angry, or I'm less. So it's hard to get animals to self-administer caffeine generally, uh, probably because of the difference in how it works, uh, the metabolism, and how much so much is excreted. It, as I mentioned, it primes cocaine use. <coughs> the way that the, the patterns of use in humans and adult humans um, differ quite a bit. So that the task demands, in other words, what am I having you do? So if you're going to do something that you know requires concentration and you know requires attention and effort, and you're a caffeine user, you will often have a cup of coffee. One of the worst things, though, would be having somebody who's having a cup of coffee, sorry, someone who doesn't ingest caffeine or very rarely does and then convincing them that the best thing for them to study for, for studying would be to drink a couple cups of coffee all that's going to do is make them nervous and then they can't concentrate okay. I mean rarely is there peer pressure to have coffee come on do it don't look cool grown ups have caffeine hey kid want to try coffee I mean that doesn't happen Demand for coffee for caffeine, and we can, in, let's just insert coffee. The demand is pretty inelastic. In the late 1970s, there was a horrible frost in much of South America causing a, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Shortage of caffeine, of coffee, which is where we get most of our caffeine. So this is about 1978, and I'm going to look up, because there's a website that I go to to look these things up, because I'm constantly watching Mad Men, and I always want to find out when they say, I put $5 worth of gas in my car. You think, it's not very much money, then you work it out and realize, oh, it's a lot of money. So let's take a look here. $6 a pound for coffee, because that sounds like not very much, right? In instead of 2017, we're going to go to 1979. Okay, so coffee in today's dollars in the late 1970s cost $21 a pound. 
and nobody stopped buying coffee. The demand for coffee didn't actually change. Right? Showing that demand is really pretty much it. So if, to, if in the next few months coffee went up to, because what's, what's basically a pound of coffee, right? Half a kilo of coffee costs what? About, what, about six bucks, eight bucks. That way coffee. So it suddenly went up by three times, but no one would stop it. They keep buying coffee. I remember my parents complaining about how expensive coffee was, but they didn't cut down on their consumption very much. It was more like, there's still some left in the pot. We better finish that because we don't want to waste it. Okay, can bad things happen? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, does it lead to cancer? This has been something that has been said and probably it doesn't. There's very little evidence that any cancer is caused by caffeine. Caffeineism is like a low-level withdrawal, uh, sorry, uh, uh, overdose of caffeine. This is when you get the anxiety. This is when you get the panic attack. This is when you, uh, a caffeine user looks like a non-caffeine user being given 200 milligrams of caffeine. So you get paranoia. You get anxiety. You get... It feels like your heart's going to beat out of your chest. This usually involves drinking, for example, a pot of coffee in half an hour. That kind of thing. Okay, in so a pot of coffee, let's say it's ten cups. So that's going to be about one and a half grams of coffee. That's like taking three five hundred milligram stay awake pills at once. Okay, this has happened to me once. It's exceedingly unpleasant. I did this because I was TAing a class in graduate school that was exceedingly boring to sit in. The prof made me come to his lectures. He was so boring. And it wasn't just him that was boring, the material was boring. Also, I didn't like him. Because he was a jerk. So, I won't name him. I will just say we were at, we were at the University of Toronto and he's now retired. Because it was 20, about 30 years ago. And I brought a pot of coffee into the class. To stay awake. So, I just kept drinking coffee and pouring it. Every three minutes, getting up and going pee, and then coming back, having more coffee. This is like, you know, now we're lecturing, I drank a pot of coffee, so I did about 10, 11 cups of coffee. And I got back to my office after the lecture. And I was like, <laughs> felt horrible. Heart was beating, felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest. It's like, my God, I'm having a heart attack. I'm 22 years old, and I'm having a heart attack. I kind of was, I had auditory hallucinations. I was hearing everything was super bright. It's like, oh God, it's so bright in here. Why is it so bright? And then it sort of dawned on me, hey idiot, you just drank a pot of coffee. Maybe, it, you think maybe it was that? So it's exceedingly unpleasant. It goes away. I didn't sleep very well that night, <laughs> but... Things work there. Um, can you overdose on caffeine? Sure, you can take so much that you get a heart attack and die. That can happen. Uh, you need somewhere between uh, 
50 and 80 cups of coffee. I'm sorry, 30 and 80. Does it happen? Yes. Does it happen from coffee? Obviously not. This is coming from taking wake-up pills. <coughs> is this coming from drinking Red Bull? No. This is coming again from taking wake-up pills. You, could, you can't drink that much coffee at once. Your stomach can't hold it. Right? How are you going to put 30 cups of coffee, even 30, the low end? How are you going to get 30 cups of coffee in your stomach? And if you're a bigger person like I am, 80. How are you going to get 80 cups of coffee? You could. I could easily, however, take 10 pills. That's trippy. And see, because, and I mentioned this the other day, uh, earlier on, because one of the the sort of behavioral things that behavioral to- tolerance this is this notion that you learn how to what it feels like to be on a drug okay so that's why for example someone who is an alcoholic can function day to day even though they're drunk because they learn how to behave on the drug one of the ways we most of us get recognized that we've had too much to drink is that we get drowsy right and you, you stop you think oh I've had enough to drink I feel kind of tired and slow. Now, if you're mixing Red Bull and vodka, that that, 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 that signal goes away. So you keep drinking and you die. It's not some drug interaction between caffeine and alcohol that's the problem. It's the fact that the signal that we are using for knowing that we're hammered is gone. So you become a wide awake drunk. Okay, this is one you hear sometimes. People will say, "This is a lot." There are a lot of people who think that caffeine is dangerous, and those same people that believe in cleanses. Um, they shouldn't eat GMOs. You know those people. So I don't eat GMOs. You read corn. Is organic, really? Okay, oh, okay. You like spending extra money? That's, have fun. Um, you know, coffee causes chromosomal damage. You know what? If you take caffeine and throw it on a bunch of cells, yeah, it damages them. You know what else does that? Milk, human milk to human cells. Of course. Is so is it toxic for reproduction? Does it stop, cause problems with sperm count? Probably not. Are there cardiac effects? This is something that people worry about. Early in the 1990s, there were data that came out that suggested that the amount of coffee you drank correlated with coronary heart disease. Oh, Jesus. That would be bad. I can't eat bacon or eggs in the morning, and now I can't have coffee. Well, I may as well just kill myself. Um, so this came out, and it's like nicely controlled study. It turned out that it depends on how you make your coffee. Not only, and, and, and also that the effect was very small anyway. So if the coffee is, if, if, if the water ends up being steeped, 
like the coffee steeped in the water, like in the French press, you know, the way civilized people make coffee. There's a lot of oil there. Filtered coffee, the way most people in North America drink it, um, doesn't do a thing. No problem. On the other hand, the effect that was found, even if, so first of all, that was debunked, and then it turns out if you look at this sort of coronary heart disease connection with coffee drinking, even when you factor all the method making it out, it doesn't look like there's too much there. This is one of the few drugs that people, that an MB will say, have as much as you want, unless it's affecting your sleep. So it's something to be to think about if you're having problems with sleeping. But beyond that, it's really a pretty safe drug. Right. Any questions so far? Because we're almost done. Oh, please, I'm sorry, I couldn't see your hand. No, actually it's not. And that's, this, is, this is something that gets a myth that caffeine makes you pee. It's the liquid you're drinking that makes you pee. Because you ingest caffeine typically by drinking Coke or drinking uh, tea or drinking coffee. And that's, you know, massive amounts of liquid you're taking in. And that's what's making you have to pee. Um, for the longest time, people did think that. The same sort of thing about um, marijuana makes your uh, pupils dilate. It doesn't because you usually smoke weed in dark rooms. Yeah, it's the same sort of idea. Yeah. Nice question. So yeah, if you just take caffeine pills, it doesn't make you pee. Well, except if you drink them blood. Yeah. One of the points that we could kind of be concerned about, and the book kind of makes this point, is that well, there isn't an international coffee conspiracy. But a lot of the research into the effectiveness of caffeine is sponsored by coffee companies. And it makes you think, it seems pretty clear it's safe. This isn't like, you know, cigarettes, where for years tobacco companies were like, oh, no, no, smoking's good for you. Four to five doctors who smoke recommend camels. Like, it's, it's not like that, okay? It's not like that. But it's interesting that a lot of the work that's about, say, the, 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 the cognitive advantages of Caffeine use seems to be funded by, you know, small print, acknowledgement section. It's, you know, a generous grant from Maxwell House. You know, so it's, it's a little bit odd, that's all. But who else would fund it, right? I'm not concerned that coffee or that caffeine is dangerous, really, except in really, really, really large amounts. But it's interesting that a lot of the sort of organizations of, of scientists who study these things, they get a lot of money from Coffee is really good business. It's the second most valuable cash crop uh, in the world. You're the most valuable one. <laughs> Any other questions? We get done early. All right, we're done. See you next time.
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for Dave, uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to match them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out um, Often I put links, uh, actually, in the uh, if call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.